right, good morning again, Coastal. I want to invite you to grab a Bible and turn with me to Psalm 119. <clears throat> Psalm 119 is where we'll spend the majority of our time in God's Word this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to do something that I almost never do. You can ignore me for a second, church. I'm actually going to address uh, people who aren't in the room. They'll listen to this sermon back in a couple of days, and I want to encourage them just for a second. If you right now are listening to this sermon on Tuesday or Wednesday, and you are holding kids and teaching kids about Christ in Sunday school down the hall, thank you. As your pastor, I want to thank you. We could not pull off a Sunday morning worship gathering without you, so please be encouraged as you listen to this. Um, we're excited to dive into God's Word. All right, let's dive in, church. We're going to spend, Lord willing, the next four weeks studying through the first half of Psalm 119. And then next November, the plan, again, Lord willing, will be to cover the second half of Psalm 119. And right off the bat, let me share the heart with you behind this series. Let me explain why we're doing this. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are, at our core, people of the book. We're people of the Bible. I mean, think about this for a second. This book contains 66 different books and letters written through over 40 authors, written over the span of over a thousand years. It contains history and narrative, prophecy and letters. It's the best-selling book of all time, the book that has literally shaped Western civilization as we know it. It's easily the most influential book in the history of mankind. And for us as a church, it's easy to see why. God wrote it. We believe here at Coastal Church that God wrote the Bible. Second Timothy chapter 3 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed breathed out by God. And because God is perfect and without error, the book that he wrote is perfect and without error. The Bible is both inerrant, which means it doesn't have any errors, and infallible, which means there can be no errors. But here's the thing. If you've been in church for a while, especially if you were raised in the church, it can be really easy to lose the wonder and the amazement of what a miracle the Bible is. Of what a miracle this book is. I mean, think about it just for a second, Coastal. The all-powerful, holy, transcendent, glorious, mighty God of the universe, the God who is right now upholding the trillions of stars in the sky, who knows all of their names, and the God who knows the name of every molecule in your body, has spoken to us. He spoke to us through a book a book that we can pick up and read, a book that we have unlimited access to. I mean, God could have given us a TV show, could have given us a movie or a song, but he gave us a book, a book that we can pour over and study and memorize and meditate on, a book that is accessible enough for my five-year-old and a book that is rich and deep and challenging enough for the smartest PhDs in the world. The Bible is precious to us because God wrote it. And in the Bible, God has made clear for us the way to have eternal life. I want to read Ephesians 3 for us. In Ephesians 3 verse 4, the Apostle Paul said something pretty incredible. He said, when you read this, 
talking about his letter to the church in Ephesus and on a larger scale, talking about the scriptures, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. What's Paul saying? He's telling us that when we pick up and read the Bible, when we read it and study it, we get Paul's insight, apostolic insight into the mystery and riches of Christ, his insight into the gospel itself. And this tells us that the Bible isn't an end in and of itself. It points us to Christ. And because the Bible points us to Jesus, the Bible is everything to us. It's our roadmap, our standard, our guide, the authority upon which we base our lives. It is completely sufficient for life and doctrine. And get this, church, the Bible doesn't change. The Bible is a steadfast constant. And I think we all know this. We live in a culture where it seems like change is the only constant. I mean, if we can be sure of one thing today, it's that what's morally acceptable this morning will be different than what's morally acceptable tomorrow. And in the crashing waves of moral relativism, the Bible doesn't move. It's not subjective truth, it's objective truth. Jesus put it this way in John 8. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want us to see this. The objective truth of the Bible frees us. It frees us from a culture that's losing its grip on reality. It frees us from bondage to sin. It frees us up to see ourselves and God rightly. John Calvin said that the scriptures are like a pair of spectacles that dispels the darkness and gives us a clear view of God. We need this. I need this in my life. We need this darkness dispelling Christ-magnifying truth. So church, we are people of the book. Christians are people who love the Bible. And that's why for the next four weeks, we're gonna spend time walking through, studying through Psalm 119, which is basically a love letter to the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the scriptures, 176 verses. And all but two of the verses contain some mention of God's law, his word, his statutes, his ordinances. You can see this in your English version if you're looking at it, but Psalm 119 is laid out as an acrostic poem where each stanza is represented by a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And we're going to move through it pretty quickly this month. We won't cover every verse, but rather we'll pull out some key themes. But before we dive in, I want you to know my prayer for us as a church I pray for us as a congregation as we walk through Psalm 119. My prayer that as a result of our time in the word over these next four weeks, we would grow in our love and affection for God's word. It's really good for us, Coastal. So let's read it. Psalm 119, we read this aloud together. I'm gonna read it for us now. This is the word of God, the first eight verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Let's pray. 
Father, help us to feel the weight of what we're doing when we open up the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) Father, we want to hear from you this morning. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from your word. I want your thoughts. And so, Father, I pray for the next few minutes as we unpack the truth of your word, that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts that you would bring conviction and comfort, encouragement, challenge, exhortation, rebuke. I pray that your spirit, God, would do its work, his work in our hearts this morning. Give us humble hearts to receive your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. (coughs) Amen. All right, church, we're gonna look at three things, three things this morning, three reasons why we as a church should love the word of God. Three things that the word does for us. Let's jump in. Number one, you have this in your notes. The word brings blessing. The word brings blessing. Look at verse one again. We see that someone is blessed when they walk in the law of the Lord. Verse two, there's blessing in keeping his testimonies. And this is where I want to start this morning. This idea of blessing coming from walking in the law of the Lord. What does this mean for us as Christians? I'll tell you, it's not as simple as obey and you'll be blessed. At least not in the way that we might think. God is not formulaic in the sense that we as New Testament Christians can obey and then expect immediate blessing at least not in the worldly sense. Amy and I at home have actually kind of been working this out. For the last five years, one of our go-to parenting phrases has been obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings consequences. We want our kids to learn that there's goodness, that there's blessing, good things from listening to mom and dad and that there are consequences, discipline that comes from disregarding or disobeying mom and dad. And I think that that formula at its heart is a pretty good one. I would even say it's a biblical one. It it sounds a lot like God speaking to the Israelites in the Mosaic Covenant. If you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disregard my commands, there will be consequences. And this formula, this phrase, obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings consequences, has been really helpful in our house. It was really helpful when our oldest was a toddler. It was a foundation of, okay, blessing is good, consequences are not good. It was a good perspective for her to learn. But here's what's happened. As Piper, our oldest, has grown, we've started to see that this formula doesn't always hold up. There are times when she disobeys and, in her mind, kind of gets away with it. She doesn't experience immediate consequences. And on the other hand, there are times when she obeys and listens and then doesn't receive the blessing or the reward that she might be expecting. So what's the breakdown? We've realized this formula is missing two critical elements. Number one, it's missing both the concepts of grace and mercy. We know this, but as Christians, by God's grace and through God's mercy, God does not deal with us as New Testament Christians according to our obedience or disobedience. By God's grace and through God's mercy, God deals with us according to the perfect obedience of Christ. And so if you're a Christian in this room, here's what that means. When you trusted in Jesus, the imputed righteousness of Christ was given to you. Imputation is just a fancy theological term for credited. And so here's what I mean. 
God's righteousness through Jesus, Jesus' righteousness has been credited to our account when we trust in Christ, which means that when God looks at us, he sees perfect obedience. The obedience of Jesus becomes our obedience. But the second way this formula breaks down, and here's how it'll help us today, is that it doesn't give us a proper New Testament understanding of walking in obedience, and it doesn't give us a proper understanding of blessing. I want us to see this. When verse one says, blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord, we need to see that as Christians, God both commands obedience and then God empowers obedience. Let me show you what I mean. Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel 36, God promises through the prophet Ezekiel that for his new covenant people, which is us, obedience to his law, walking in his law will look different. Instead of this external struggle where we try to muster up and white knuckle enough discipline to obey, to earn blessing, God is going to do something to help us obey. This is Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Church, this is an incredible promise. God is saying that he will put his spirit in us and in doing so, will cause, will empower the very blessing, the very obedience that he's commanding. And this changes the game for us. It's so important. Instead of being people who try to obey to earn God's blessing, we are now people who have been given God's blessing through the outpouring of his spirit and who are now empowered to obey. Now, the order here is really, really critical. And if you're new to Christianity this morning or just checking out Coastal for the first time, I want you to understand this. We do not obey the commands of the Bible. In verse one, we don't try to live blamelessly in order to earn God's favor or earn God's blessing. Rather, we strive to obey the Bible because we've already been given God's favor. We've been given God's blessing through trusting in Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of Psalm 119.1. His way was blameless. And because Jesus was blameless, we are blessed. And so for the Christian, walking in the law of the Lord and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit are one and the same. I want us to see that right off the bat this morning. The Spirit in us, fueling obedience, conforms us to the Word. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Church, the Holy Spirit of God working supernaturally in us will both remind us of God's word, John 14, 26, and empower us to keep God's word. Now, I'll be honest. There's a mystery into how God actually does that. And come back next week because we're gonna explore that mystery in depth in our time in the word next week. But for today, here's what I want us to understand. God is the one who empowers, who causes, who fuels our walking in the law of the Lord. When we start with verse one, we have to start there. And when we get this church, we start to see that walking in the law of the Lord and blessing actually become one in the same. Here's what I mean. Look back at our text. We see the word blessed two times in the first two verses. Now in the Hebrew, blessed could also be translated as happy. So in other words, 
Happy is the one whose way is blameless. Happy is the one who keeps his testimonies. Now, here's what that tells us, Coastal. If we want to be happy, if you want to be happy this morning, truly, divinely happy, then walk in the law of the Lord. Like, we've literally found the key to happiness this morning, the key to happiness for mankind is by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the law of the Lord and to obey the commands of God. And then we'll see that obedience does indeed bring blessing. It does bring happiness. I think one of the most subtlest, dangerous strategies of the enemy in our day today is that he tries to convince us that somehow happiness and holiness are opposed to each other. That you can't be both happy and holy. You can't have both. They go, they're opposite of each other. They don't go hand in hand. And many Christians who really mean well, I've probably said this before in my life, have heard or said something along the lines of, God doesn't care about your happiness. God cares about your holiness. Now let's have a moment of vulnerability. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. Okay. I think the biblically, it's incredibly misleading. Listen, the reason that the word brings us blessing is because every single command in it, every imperative, every prohibition in the Bible is given to us for our good, our good and our lasting, enduring, supernatural happiness. And here's the thing, the more closely aligned our lives are to the commands and precepts of the Bible, the happier and the more joyful we'll be. This is because God has created mankind to flourish, to walk best, to thrive by walking according to his word. Think about it like an oil change for your car. Every car needs their oil change. And Every car, every make or model was designed to run on a certain type of oil. And we know this. We want to make sure to give our cars the right type of oil to keep its engine running the best. And you want to avoid putting the wrong type of oil in your car. You wouldn't put conventional in a Ferrari. The commands of scriptures are the perfect oil for us as Christians. And not just as Christians, as human beings, following them, walking in the law of the Lord is what's best for us. It's how we're designed to live. And we see this most exemplified in the life and person of Jesus, who was both the holiest and the happiest person who ever lived. Jesus showed us that happiness and holiness, instead of being diametrically opposed, are joyfully linked in this never-ending conduit of praise. The more we grow in holiness, the more we'll grow in happiness. And this happiness is one that transcends circumstances. It's one that helps us endure through real suffering. This happiness is not dependent, conditional on what's going on around us. Now, I'm gonna take a guess at maybe what some of y'all are thinking. Come on, Colin, get real. I'm trying to obey the commands of the Bible, but I'm not always happy. I'm trying to walk in the law of the Lord, but I'm not always happy. I don't always feel happy. I suffer. When I suffer, I don't feel happy. My family suffers. When my family suffers, I don't feel happy about it. So an emotion, a feeling, isn't gonna carry me through this. And if that's you this morning, I would say you're right. An emotion or a feeling won't carry you through suffering. But the kind of happiness that I'm talking about this morning is different. This biblical holiness-infused happiness, it's not less than an emotion, 
but it's certainly more than an emotion. Again, think of Jesus. Jesus wasn't happy all the time, at least not in the conventional sense. Jesus got angry. Jesus wept. Jesus rebuked people. Jesus's life wasn't all smiles and good feelings, and Jesus suffered. In fact, Jesus suffered more than any of us ever will by going to the cross to pay for our sin, by taking on the full wrath of the Father. Jesus suffered more than we can even begin to imagine. But I want to show us something. Look at how the Bible says that Jesus endured suffering. Look at what got him through. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I think we'll have it on the screen. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy. I'm going to read that again. This is what I want you to see. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, I want us to see this. What sustained Jesus through suffering wasn't a good feeling. It wasn't some fleeting temporary happiness like we might get as a kid on Christmas morning. No, what sustained Jesus through suffering and what carries us through suffering is joy. Like unconditional, heavenly-minded, holiness-infused joy. The joy set before Jesus and the joy set before us. And that joy comes to us most vividly when we walk as God intended us to walk according to his commandments. Remember, church, walking in step with the Spirit and walking in the law of the Lord are one in the same for us. Anyone remember what the second aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is? It's joy. I want us to see this connection. The word brings us blessing, church, true happiness and true heavenly-minded joy. All right, number two, the word brings protection. The word brings protection. Look at verses four through six. (laughs) You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, then I shall not be put to shame, having fixed my eyes on all your commandments. The psalmist here is communicating that he won't be put to shame He won't be put to shame because he's focused on God and his word. God's commandments, his precepts, protect the psalmist and they protect us. They do so in two ways. I don't have these in your notes. Feel free to write them down. Number one, the word protects our doctrine. The first way that the word protects us from shame is that the word protects our doctrine. Ephesians chapter four, verses 13 through 14 until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Listen to what Paul's saying here. If we want to reach maturity in Christ, if we want to avoid being tossed to and fro by the waves, if we don't want to be carried around by every wind of deceitful doctrine, then we need two things, unity of the faith and accurate knowledge of the Son of God. Now, where do we find that unity? Where do we find that knowledge? We find it in the Word. Church, the Bible protects our doctrine so that if anyone ever tells you something that's contrary to what the Bible says, you know it's not true. You know it's a lie. And here's what this means for us Christians. We have to know our Bibles. 
We have to know our Bibles. In order to be people who can recognize false teaching, we have to know and appreciate sound teaching. If you're a member here this morning, or if you're one of the 30 or so that signed up for our class this afternoon, you have a responsibility as a member at Coastal Church to know your Bible so that you can guard the gospel and affirm sound teaching. I was reading the other day about people who study counterfeit cash. There's a whole profession based around this. People who study counterfeit dollar bills and 20s and hundreds, <coughs> and they study a lot. Here's what I thought they would study in their classes. I thought that they would study all the different types of counterfeits. I read an article this week that proved me wrong. When people are studying counterfeit cash and how to spot counterfeit cash, all they do is study the real thing. And so all they're doing is looking at the real 20s and the real hundreds. They spend all their time studying those real, real dollars. Why? So they can know it intimately, so they can know it perfectly, so that if even a smidgen or something is off on a fake one, they spot it right away. Church, this needs to be us. This should be true of our lives with the Bible. We want to be people who immerse ourselves in this book, who study it, who live and breathe it. So when false teaching comes along in our culture, like a counterfeit dollar bill, we're able to spot it instantly. So let me get practical just for a second. Almost every mature, godly Christian that I've ever met is someone who is committed to some type of systematic study and reading of the Bible. Now, whether it's a Bible in a year plan or a slow study through a particular book of the Bible, a marker of maturity for a Christian <laughs> is someone who's committed to regular intake of God's word. Now, devotionals are fine. I've used devotionals in my life, and they can even be helpful and have their place at the right time. But as your pastor, let me challenge you just for a moment. If the devotional that you use with your time with the Lord has one verse of scripture in it and then two pages of man's thoughts about it, then honestly, you're better off just picking up and reading your Bible. I'll take it a step farther. If the devotional you use is written by someone who is claiming to hear from Jesus and then speaking for him, run as fast as you can in the opposite direction and pick up your Bible. If you don't have a Bible this morning, come talk to me after we're done. I'll give you a Bible. We need more than the you version verse of the day, church. We need the meat of the word. And I know that this is going to look different for everyone. My wife right now is in one of those seasons where she's got a baby strapped to her chest, coffee in one hand, Bible in the other, while there's World War III breaking out in our living room. But she reads because she knows a commitment to the word of God is how Christians grow. It protects our doctrine. The second way it protects us is it protects our lives. Again, I don't have this in your notes, but the Bible, the word also protects our lives. I'll make this real simple. Think back to our discussion about happiness just a minute ago. <laughs> if it's true, church, that walking in the law of the Lord is good for us, if it's true that walking in the law of the Lord cultivates happiness, then the opposite must also be true. Intentionally disregarding the commands of the scriptures will lead us to unhappiness. 
lead us to misery. We see examples of this all over the Bible. Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden. The Israelites wandering around in the desert. Jonah being swallowed by a fish. The prodigal son wallowing in the muck and the mire. Disobedience left unchecked will lead us to misery. And it might not happen right away, but it's inevitable. When we intentionally go against God's design for our lives, it never works out well for us in the long run. Think about this in your own life. I'll testify for a mind, just for a moment. There has never been a time in my life, Coastal, where I've regretted obeying God. And there have been tons of times where I've regretted disobeying him. The word protects our doctrine and it protects our lives. Finally, number three, the word brings us to God. I wanna invite the band back up. I'll close with this, verses seven and eight. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. (laughs) I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So this is how our first stanza of Psalm 119 ends. After six verses of praising the word of God, verses seven and eight, they turn upward. The psalmist praises God in verse seven, and then he prays to God in verse eight. Now, I touched on this at the beginning, but I wanna close with it now. The chief end of the Bible, with all of its blessing and all of its protection, is ultimately to point us to its author. We don't study the Bible to get more of the Bible, church. We study the Bible to get more of God. A.W. Tozer put it much more eloquently than I could. He once said this, the Bible is not an end in it of itself but a means to bring men and women to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God. They may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Yes and amen. So here's what's happening in Psalm 119. And here's what I hope happens in our hearts today and what I hope happens to our hearts in this series. After studying and meditating on the glory and goodness and beauty of God's word, after seeing how good it is for us, the psalmist is instantly moved to praise the God who wrote it. Again, verse seven, after he learns his rules, he turns to praise, praise and then prayer. And we see this plea in verse eight for God to not forsake him. I thought it interesting this week that our passage ends with the psalmist praying, God, don't forsake me. I think there's a trajectory here that we might see in our lives. So if you're new to Christ or you remember when you were new to Christ, here's what happens. When you start reading the Bible for the first time, it's alive to you. It's incredible, it's awesome. Feels like it's speaking directly to you. And what happens is you learn all about God, all about his character and how good and righteous and holy he is, how he is compassionate, full of mercy. He's a God of justice, full of wrath. We learn all about God. We learn more and more and more about God because we study really the book that God wrote. And then what happens after we learn more about God is we start to realize something. God is perfect. His word is perfect and he's perfect and I'm not. I think we see that trajectory in Psalm 119. There's this realization that I can't keep your statutes perfectly, that I can't keep your word perfectly. God, you're righteous, I'm not. God, you're kind, I'm not. God, you are holy, I am sinful. And so that's why I think Psalm 119 verse eight ends with this prayer, don't forsake me. And so here's what this means for us as Christians. I just wanna close us really with the beauty of the gospel this morning. We don't have to pray 
don't forsake me. Church, I can promise you that God, if you are in Christ, will never forsake you. I can promise you that if you're in Christ this morning, God will never leave you. How do I know that? What did Jesus cry out when he was hanging on the cross? Father, why have you forsaken me? I can promise without a shadow of a doubt, Christian, that God will not forsake you because he sent Jesus to be forsaken on your behalf. And this opens up for us the treasure trove of the Bible. This allows us to see that God's word is good for us, that as God's covenant people, it's rich and helpful and perfect and without error. It allows us, it frees us up to meditate on it, to study it. It allows us to see that God's word brings us blessing, true joy, like biblical, holy happiness. And that by following it, we can have happiness. We can be happy when we walk in the law of the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can see that God's word offers us protection, that it's good for our doctrine. It's our, it's our standard, our authority. It's good for our lives that obeying God is good and there are consequences when we disobey God. But ultimately, this, this is where I wanna land this morning. As we pray this prayer, God don't forsake us knowing that the answer is, I will never forsake you because Jesus was forsaken. And so here's the action step for you this morning. If you are gonna travel with us this month through Psalm 119, here's what I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear, this is a list of stuff I have to do. It's a list of stuff I have to do, a checklist I have to accomplish. I want you to hear that the God of the universe sent his son to be forsaken so that you wouldn't have to be. And that God put his spirit into your heart and my heart so that we could be forgiven of our sin and that we could live according to the law of the Lord. So here's what I wanna do, let's pray. Father, I praise you this morning for your righteous rules. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, God, that your word is really, really good. It's good for us. <laughs> it's profitable for us. And so I pray, God, for this group of Christians, this local church, this campus of Coastal Church, I pray, God, that if there's an area this morning where we've been, I don't know, disobedient, disregarding your commands, I pray that as a result of the gospel, that we would repent of our sin, we'd turn back from it, that we'd bring our lives into conformity with your word. Because we know, God, your design for us is to live holy lives. There's happiness, there's great happiness in great holiness. So we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your mercy this morning. I pray that if there's someone in this room that doesn't know Jesus, that they would come and talk to us and learn how they can be saved and then freed up to live righteously. I pray for the Christian God that in all of our ways, we would walk in the law of the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.